Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Vandergast blows the whistle? It's official. Canada, 2000 World Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 58 of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo with Alexander Gongi Ruzik this time. No Thomas Neff. He had some technological issues, but he will be back on for the post-match edition of the Northern Football Podcast. But let's welcome in our guest co-host, Alex. How are you doing? Thank you for, for joining me. Yeah, I'm doing great. Pleasure as always to join the show. I'm happy and proud to to know that I've I've got the 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 extended squad call up to the Northern Football Podcast. I got the the Raheem Edwards yeah. role this time around. I'm happy to come in and and fill in if if needed. Uh, hopefully Thomas's audio <laughs> get the situation get gets fixed. I guess as as you'll mention, I probably here, but uh, always happy to fill in. Well, it's always good to to chat footy with you. I'll try. We'll try not to agree with each other too much like yeah. we did last time, but I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll see where we stand on uh, certain footballing uh, discussions and whatnot. Exactly. Maybe the predicted 11s might be a little different. We can debate that. We'll, we'll see. And due time, listeners, uh, before we dive into everything relating to the first match of what should be a historic window for the Canadian men's national team, a reminder that the Northern Football Podcast is partnered with Northern Tribune and Canucks Abroad. Check them out at northerntribune.ca and canucks-abroad.ca and follow them on Twitter at North Tribune and at Canucks underscore abroad, respectively. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss any episodes if you prefer apple or spotify then leave us a rating and if you're an apple user then drop a review as well all right let's dive in alex uh canada coach john herdman announced his 25-man roster on sunday with 23 of 25 players returning from january the two changes were dane st Clair over jason lutweiler and the big one ismail kone in place of clubmate Samuel Piet, who is still nursing an injury. The full roster is as follows, beginning with the goalkeepers, Milan Borian, Maxine Crepeau, and the aforementioned St. Clair. The defenders are Sam Adekubi, Christian Gutierrez, Derek Cornelius, Scott Kennedy, Kamal Miller, Stephen Vittoria, Daniil Henry, Alistair Johnston, and Richie Larea. There are six midfielders, including Kone. The other five are Stefan Ostakio, Liam Fraser, Atiba Hutchinson, Mark Anthony Kay, and Jonathan Osorio. And finally, the forwards are Tejon Buchanan, Junior Hoylett, Jonathan David, Kyle Laren, E.K. Ugbo, Lucas Cavallini, and Liam Miller. So let's begin with the big news, Alex, of Ismail Kone's first call-up. Uh, before we maybe talk about the things we can expect from him. Here is what Herdman said about Kone's inclusion and why he was ultimately called up. Yeah, I think with, with Ismail, you know, the last four or five weeks have been a bit of a whirlwind from playing at a variety of different levels from CONCACAF Champions League, MLS in some big venues in front of big crowds and big moments. One thing that I've seen consistently is just a fearless mindset. And I think the game this weekend he was able to show that sort of resilience that yeah. I think is really important to be part of this team where, you know, you can make a mistake and then come back and produce a performance like he did. So if you're good enough, um, you're old enough. In, in my book, I've, I've always tried to ensure that young players 
that we deserve and got those opportunities and he's been selected because I think he can contribute across these three games. The majority of the listener questions do surround the 19-year-old Kone. I will start with Canada Footy TV at Canada Footy TV asking, what can we expect out of Ismail Kone over this window? Love the work, boys. Keep it going. And JL at usually underscore thirsty asked something similar. Does it go without saying that Kone will see the pitch even if just for a few minutes to complete the cap tie? So... Alex, as someone who wrote an in-depth scouting report on the man himself, um, how do you see both of these things turning out for Kone and Canada? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was lucky enough to actually be uh, in Montreal when he made his debut against Santos Laguna, headed over to, to check out that game. So I saw what he he was able to bring to the table in his first ever pro game. And I mean, right from, from then, I was impressed. You can tell he has great maturity for for his young age i think one thing that i try to look for when youngsters are making debuts because there's a lot more of them is you know it's not just their their skills their qualities you see a lot of that there's a reason why they're making that jump up but it's how they they, they handle playing against other men you know p- playing against the some of the best players in Concacaf in his case because he's thrust straight into the champions league into some tough mls games and there's just real maturity in his game. There's this way, and he just he wants to 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 be on the ball. He commands it. He tries to drive forward. Um, there are you know some 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 growing pains. He is a youngster. He does is prone to turning the ball over. That, that's normal. I think as someone who wants to try it a lot, you kind of see this. It's either someone plays really safe, and it's a lot of you know he's starting out with backward sideways passes, or it's kind of go- going out and being more gung ho. He's kind of more on the the, the gung ho side, but that that also has its benefits because you can see the skill, you can see the creativity. He he pulls off some excellent dribbles. The way he maneuvers his hips around players is is magnificent. He's he's got a great switch on him. He can strike a ball pretty well, and most importantly, he reads the field very nicely. Like he mm-hmm. he pops up into good areas. He's despite playing in a double pivot, which is, you know, a tall ask for even some veterans who've been playing for five, 10 years, he doesn't get lost all that, that often. So for me, it's ultimately just a lot of maturity in his game for the most part. Yes. There are those young moments. Yes. There are those mistakes, but it's like John Herdman said, there's, it's hard to find a Canadian midfielder that has had anything close to the quality that he has. I think uh, in my scouting report, I, I put the closest comparable I could find to him as Jonathan Azorio on Canada. But if I were to make some sort of perfect projection, I'd say there's elements of Mark Anthony K, uh, Atiba Hutchinson, Stefanu Stacchio, and Azorio all in his game. He kind of blends yeah. different areas. But otherwise, to answer the, the, the other questions, I won't forget it. In terms of cap tying, it is worth noting that he cannot be cap tied fully this window. He can only, I think if he plays... Uh, he, he cannot play obviously more than three and it's right now right. the cutoff is three games before 21 will keep him in Canada for at least three more years. Should he not get any call-ups between now and, and three more years, then he could technically go to Ivory coast. But uh, I do think he does see the field at some point, maybe for, for five, 10 minutes. I think he'll obviously take a good performance in, in training. We do forget that sometimes, but based on what we've seen from Montreal, there's no reason why he, he shouldn't, you know, find a way to, to impress Herdman in training and get that opportunity. And if there's anything we know about John Herdman through his four years now as coach, he's called up players, but specifically in this window, to contribute in some way. That's one of many reasons why he's kept the same squad together, more or less. Therefore, yes, we can expect to see Kone to see the pitch. The question now is for 
how long and how often in the three games. I, I feel like Herdman will likely favor the Ashtakio hutchinson duo if they go 4-4-2. Maybe add an Osorio or K in there if they want to go with three. Kone should be one of the first names off the bench to replace a guy like K or Osorio because they're both number eights and neither usually goes 90 minutes unless it's a very special circumstance. After Costa Rica, it really depends on fitness and suspensions as to whether Kone gets a start because off the top of my head, Ashtakio, K, Hutchinson, and Fraser are one yellow away from a suspension. So maybe Kone comes in by necessity in that regard. Looking at the flip side of this, Alex, Chris Talks came up with uh, an interesting question to say the least. Is it too soon? to call up Kone, who has only been getting hype after seven games. No one mentioned him in any CAN-MNT talks before these seven games. Peyton is overlooked and has been very good in Scotland all season. Can see the point, but I think there's more to it than just player A over player B, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it ultimately comes down to fits, because one thing that I'll add to your previous point that I, that I also didn't mention it's key to note how good Kone has been in the double pivot because Canada has kind of been, like you mentioned, the Eustachio Hutchinson double pivot has been such a huge part of what John Herdman is, has kind of, he's tinkered with it. He's found a way to really make it work. And now uh, it has become a key pillar of the game. Jonathan Azorio and Mark Anthony K, they played in that double pivot against the U S I mean, they did a job. You could tell they were a bit limited in, in how they covered ground and, sure. and how they got forward. Mm-hmm. You know, Ismail Kone fits that double pivot better than anyone else on the fringes of the, the the pool. One thing about Harry Patton is I like his game a lot, his creativity, the way he can play. I mean, another, you know, similar name that you see a lot of is someone like Stefan Mitrovic, also a similar attacking midfielder profile. But in terms of fitting Canada's double pivot, it's circumstance. You lose Samuel Piet, you need more of someone who can handle a bit more of that defensive responsibility and play in that double pivot. I think Kone was just the next man up. And for while it might be a bit soon, I'll admit like seven games is very soon for him to, to, to make his debut. Although I have been impressed and I like what I see. It's just circumstance. You look at Canada in, in the midfield, there was just a need for that, that kind of profile. And it's just one of those scenarios where a couple timely injuries, he's in form, right place, right time. He gets the call. It's, there's just call-ups like that all the time in national team. And unfortunately for, for Patton and Mitrovic with the formation change, they're going to probably need maybe an attacker to, to, to fall out or, or someone like an, an Azorio who's more of a, an attacking yeah. midfielder player to, to drop out for them to get a spot. Whereas Kone, he was just ready, right time for that, that double pivot. To add to that point too, I think there are some elements of Kone being a dual national kind of bumps him up the queue a little bit because there's a bit more of an effort to make sure that he's in the camp, in the setup, embedded in the team, and then at least temporarily he is Canada's, whereas Peyton is not under any threat of leaving the player pool anytime soon. The other element of this too that that I think is is something that Herdman brought up, which is I think the reason why ultimately it was Kone over someone like a Peyton or you know, whoever else you want to throw out there. When you hear Herdman speak about Kone, you can tell that his mentality was a big reason for the call-up. And the fact that he's played in some tricky spots against some 
marquee Mexican opponents. You can argue whether Santos Laguna was really of that quality. They're bottom of the table in, in Liga MX right now, but Cruz Azul is a favorite to win the Champions League, and he started at the Azteca in a double pivot next to Victor Wanyama, who I don't think you can understate how much of an influence he has been in Kone's strong start to the season here. But I think the fact that he has already played in those spots, he's overcome adversity. And how many times has this national team, Alex, overcome adversity in some way, right? So I feel like that also gives him a leg up over a Peyton who, yes, he is playing very well in Scotland. Yes, he is playing at times in a double pivot, but it does rotate a lot and his position gets tweaked at times. Hasn't played in those kinds of matches yet. Yes, he plays against Celtic and Rangers, what, six times, eight times a year and does okay in those matches. But it's a lot different when you're doing it in a continental competition in a setting like the Azteca where you have the altitude, you have the heat, you have a superior opponent and you're still able to, even though at times he did struggle, understandably, you're still able to overcome that and then have the mistake you did against Atlanta overcome that and become involved in all three goals and outside of that still contribute immensely. The perfect storm is the word I'd use for, for Kone. Everything's just come together at the right time, right place, right profile, right run of form, the games he's playing. Like it's just, it's all perfect for him. And if you're Herdman, why not? You get to call up a 19 year old, promising dual national and at the same time he's someone who can help your team it's a no-brainer for for him i think that's just the way i'd put it it's really just you look at all the factors it's just perfect storm yeah i would agree we also received a bigger picture question after tsn's matthew shinetti reported that clubs in belgium germany france england and the netherlands are watching kone closely and have him on their weekly scouting reports so we got two questions here from Aru Yan at Aru Yan 5. How good is Kone and does he have potential to play in a top five league one day? While GRMN Pope asked, can we get a deep dive on Kone? Herdman says he hasn't seen a player profile like him. What makes him so special? So Alex, you maybe already touched on the Kone attributes and weaknesses, all of which I agree with. Do you think, though, he has the potential to play in a top five league? Early days, but what do you think? I mean, it's the multi-million dollar question. I think it's an answer. I think the answer is yes. I think you look at what he's brought to the table so far. He just has the technical ability, I think, first and foremost. I think, you know, obviously with the young player, it's a question, okay, does he have the physicality to handle uh, you know, playing up against a man and uh, does he have the skill? And the answer is he's got both in abundance. And because of that, it really opens up the doors because sometimes you'll see a player come in and he'll have the physical skills and maybe leg behind a bit in the technical area, uh, you know, and how he reads the game or he'll come in, he'll read the game great and he'll be very technically skilled, but he, you know, sometimes he struggles a bit phys- physically. Kone has found a way to kind of tick off both boxes. And because of that, it opens up a lot of doors. It's not, you know, maybe limiting into, oh, maybe this player will do good in this league because he's not as physical. But the way Kone is kind of his overall profile, I think he can absolutely play in the top five league. I think it's going to be interesting to see what sort of teams. I do think based on his technical skill, I would like to see him maybe go for for more of a Spain or, or, or a Germany, although he does... You know, he is a pretty big body. I think he's 188 centimeters, which is what, 6'2", 6'1", someone? 
six two, like he could go and, and, and play in England. Probably need a little bit of muscle to, to go play in the, the rigors of the Premier League. But I think personally he can play in a top five league. I think with this technical skill, he could be a really fun player to watch grow in a like again, like a Germany, like a Spain, where it feels like it's a little more technical. So the answer is for me pretty straightforward, just based on that unique blend of 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 technical skill, how he reads the game, along with his physical qualities. It really is hard to find a can MNT comparable, which you mentioned earlier, but but just to kind of extend onto that. He really is a mixture of everyone, but I think there's a reason why a couple of people have put out there that he could be the prototypical Atiba Hutchinson replacement if you don't already really count Stefan Ostakio is that guy already because he has a little bit of everything, right? As you touched on, he has the the technique or the dribbling abilities of an Osorio. He has the progressive passing of a K. He has the the all-around abilities in general of Hutchinson because there's a reason why they call him the octopus for God's sake. Is he the finished product yet? Absolutely not. I mean, he came through as a left winger and is transitioning to a central role, which cannot be understated en- enough. This is not his natural position, which is why I think he has some advantages that others may not have. Like he has the scoring touch, he has the vision of a forward, but he's playing slightly deeper so he can kind of read the game a little earlier and therefore take advantage of that. The only real things he has to work on, apart from the things that you said, Alex, are... I feel like there's small things like his touch under pressure, consistently receiving the ball and being decisive when he's being pressed, his defensive awareness, all of which will come with more repetition over time. And it's no surprise as a result that he's being tracked by clubs in Europe, especially with Montreal being connected to Bologna. Let's see if that can be parlayed into a serious legitimate offer by the end of the season. Um, His deal is up in December from what I recall, but he has a club option for the next two years and could also sign a new deal before the summer because we've seen how club options become a subject of controversy with the Kyle Aaron transfer, the Camilo saga in Vancouver, etc. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I think, yeah, you bring up some good points. I think it's one thing I'll make sure to, you know, kind of close out, I guess, this Kone chatter with something that I'll make sure to note because while, you know, there's a lot of talking up of what Kone brings and for good reason. And, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. He is still also a 19 year old who's played seven games. There's still a lot of growth to come in his game. Yes. You can be excited by what's there, but there is still work to be done. Like you mentioned in, in those skills for me, another one is consistency, especially in the midfield. Part of the reason why a guy like Atiba Hutchinson so good he rarely makes mistakes. If you make a mistake in midfield, like Kone learned against Atlanta, it ends up in your net. You're not, it's not like out on the wing where you mess up a dribble. It might not end up in your net. You, you can track back and get behind the ball. You recover in, in central midfield, especially when you're playing a shuttling role, you make one loose pass. It's it's just Joseph Martinez is on a breakaway. He's going to score the goal. So I think Kone, he's going to keep learning. I think it's important to be patient at the same time. You can't also help but be excited by the potential, by the, you know, the skill, the physical qualities. There is a perfect package there, but also at the same time, there is a lot of growth to be done. So I think ultimately it's going to be exciting to see where he's at in in 25 games, 30 games later this year for Montreal, because I think based on where he's trending, the profiles are going to be exciting. But I also think we we have to, to 
to remember that there is still going to be work to be done. And while it's easy to get lost in all this hype that uh, there will be the, those growing pains at some point, I'm sure. And even if they're limited because he is that good of a player where he'll be able to limit it, they'll, they'll still be there. And it's still a work in progress. He's not the finished product quite yet. That is the key. On to some bigger picture questions about who isn't there at the Canada camp. Vince Alvarado at Vince by Demand asked, is Herdman calling up someone like Liam Fraser simply due to familiarity or is there some worry going forward he'll have quote unquote favorites who he'll call no matter how low of a level they play at? I have a bit of an interesting example, Alex, but, but I'll let you answer this first before I get into it. Oh man, you're throwing me the spicy one first, but uh, I mean it's a it's a bit of an interesting question. I see where where you know Vince would be coming from in the sense that uh, you know it's Liam Fraser moving to the Belgian second division already. You might raise a bit of you know eyebrows, thinking, oh maybe do you wonder if he could have gone higher? Uh, and then you know especially now that they don't look very likely to get promoted, much less get in the promotion game, you do wonder. Okay, did he make a mistake signing a a three year contract i'd say it's hard to tell who knows what's going to happen in the summer he does play for canada and playing for canada right now it's it's like uh you know one of those you know south american countries five ten years ago where you had one of those passports and everyone gets all excited or even like an american passport two three years ago like the canadian passport is starting to be a, a sexy passport so maybe he'll find his way out of there and and move up but i think ultimately the way i'd view it is it's just the position really like you look at number sixes for, for whatever reason, Canada isn't like they've it's ironic. They've just always historically been so good at creating these physical specimen number sixes. But now you look at so many of the, the guys coming through there, they're number tens, they're attacking players. And Liam Fraser kind of brings something different as a, as a deep line playmaker. And because of that, that's for me why he's in, in the squad, but I do agree that it is, it's going to be interesting to see, if Fraser stays in the second Belgian division, does Herdman stay stay loyal uh, to, to him like Vince mentions? But so far, I, I am not too too worried now, but I guess you, we could see how his situation develops. Yeah, and in the case of Fraser specifically, even if you wanted to introduce someone else, who are you calling up? Like no one else in those deep-lying positions is playing regularly every week. Preso is one name who could come in, but he's barely played this year. Maybe if this was two, three months down the line and he's gotten six, 700 minutes under his belt, then sure. But basically everyone in the squad is there on merit for both club and country. No one has been slacking in terms of form. The only guy you can maybe dispute up until a couple of weeks ago was Lucas Cavallini. But in the last two games, he has either scored or played quite well in the games he doesn't score in. But for the bigger picture question, the, the example I come back to and this will resonate with Vince specifically because he is of Peruvian descent, but I'll add some context for the listeners who aren't familiar. When Ricardo Gareca, Peru's coach, added some new faces to the team in 2016, he ended up calling up the same group for the remainder of the qualifying cycle unless he was forced to make a change due to injury or suspension. That familiarity and tactical chemistry largely guided Peru to their first World Cup in 36 years and Copa America final in 2019. That was the first time since 1975 they made it that far. Then the team got stale because Gareca kept leaning on the same players, even in friendlies and regardless of their form, despite there being more than capable enough replacements to come into the team. 
Peru started qualifying this cycle with one point in five games. There was major criticism from me included about how predictable and stale the team became. And Gareca ended up introducing quote-unquote new players, guys who'd been in the squad before but never necessarily got a run in the team, players like Alexander Callens, Marcos Lopez, Sergio Peña, Gianluca Lapadula, Gilmar uh, Lora, the, the list goes on and on and on. These guys mainly got their opportunities at last year's Copa America. They returned to the semifinals of that tournament, narrowly lost to Brazil, then lost to Colombia at the death in the third place match, and then some confidence was restored because with those players embedded and some tactical wrinkles introduced, Peru has since claimed 20 points from their last 10 or 11 qualifiers and are now on pace to at least clinch the Interconfederation playoff when they look dead and buried after five games. This is all a roundabout way of saying that for now, I think it's fair to prioritize familiarity and chemistry on the road to the World Cup because that's what you're building towards. And if you have it, lean into it. You can always introduce a few new guys from June during the Nations League up until the final squad needs to be announced, but then you can't be over-reliant on those same players for too long. It's all about, I guess it's about finding a balance. I think that's the hardest thing in international management. It's do you get, you know, all starry-eyed by guys playing, you know, in form? When do you find the right moment to call guys in? Is it injuries? Do they just knock, do they have to knock the, the door down? Is it a certain point where, you know, the door is too hard for them to knock down just because you want to prioritize uh, loyalty? I think it's it's easy for Canada right now. You're winning. You, you stick with the guys you've got. The question is, for me, I think, like you mentioned, especially in the case of Peru, usually this sort of thing lasts a year or two. So if you're Canada, you could probably get the most out of this group 2022, 2023. What's going to be fun is 2024, because by then you're going to have, you know, you're going to have more Kones. You're going to have someone like Jaquil Marshall Rudy probably playing in Europe. Just off the top of my head, there's countless teenagers playing across Canada and the MLS and CPL that will yeah. push up to higher levels. There will be guys that are just absolutely slamming on the door then okay we're going to start to see uh what what herdman does if if canada's going to really then reward their their you know be loyal to the guys that that got them to 2022 do you introduce the fresh blood maybe canada hits a bit of a dip and then it's like what like what happened with peru like you mentioned i think when with where canada's at it's too soon to have that discussion but i think it's a great question uh, from Vince in the sense that it's something to keep an eye on, especially I'd say in 2024, when some of these youngsters that we talk about, you know, your, your zoo here is another one at Montreal. You can go down the list where they're at in two, three years and how they're playing. Oh, and then it'll be interesting to see how Herdman reacts to that when he's in between the cycle. It's, it's okay. You're not at the point where now, like in November, for example, you make the world cup, you're calling up a squad. Let's be real. Unless Lucas Cavallini has like a broken leg or scores zero goals between now and November, like he's going to be in the squad. That's, you know, he has a role on the squad. He's a leader. I'm not going to dispute that. Whereas in 2024, if someone like Cavallini's in that sort of form and you've got, you know, a 19 year old kid, you know, banging in goals in MLS or something like that. Okay. Then the, the question starts to wonder is Herdman being loyal yeah. or, or, or whatnot. So it's one I'd revisit in, in two years, I'd say. Exactly. And that's about the time when Peru fans and media got frustrated with Gareca was two years after their World Cup and Copa America cycle, maybe just under two years, and it became apparent this is just stale and not working. Something needs to change. So I feel like it's a lose-lose situation for international coaches. Even when you're doing well, 
and and then all of a sudden things start to kind of fall away it's like okay when are you going to start to change things like even though you only play like 10 times a year and it's kind of hard to find that balance so even when you're winning even when you're winning it's like you got guys who are playing well you wonder can you bring them into a winning team it's a a tough balance it's It's like it's the whole question it's like how i'm looking at the u.s for example they got obviously a little deeper pool than canada they've had a rough time because it's like how do you who do you prioritize you prioritize the guys you're familiar with you call in a guy because he starts scoring like the whole you know PFOC debate like it's the u.s is a prime example of what that whole form versus familiarity debate can be exactly and i mean they're always hurt it seems like my god i've never seen so many players from one country get hurt but that's a discussion for another day another question here from mark carvalho is there anyone you're particularly surprised is not on the roster um alex i think i when i made my roster prediction i think i got 22 of the 25 names who eventually made it. I think I actually ended up picking a 24-man squad. But the only ones I think I didn't get were Derek Cornelius, Dane St. Clair, and Ismail Kone. Cornelius makes sense because Henry's suspended for Costa Rica. Vittoria is a fitness concern. If St. Clair is starting, I think he's the clear number three for Canada. And he's now started two straight games and kept clean sheets in both. Looked excellent overall in those games. Um, And then we've already talked about Kone. So is there anyone out there that you expected to make the squad who didn't make it i said there are a few that i was keeping an eye on because i mean i in my predictions i was a little more generous i went for the 26 man squad gave me a little more margin mm-hmm. for error because i think i got uh 24 in them helps when you, you're predicting a bigger squad yep. but uh it was for me the two positions i got wrong were right wing back and goalkeeper and those were kind of the the areas i'm you know i'd, I'd highlight for me st Clair, I, I agree playing it's the third goalkeeper. Canada likes some long-term. He's in good form. It makes sense. He has familiarity, which is obviously a big thing. I just wondered, especially based on how he started, obviously people are going to say, oh, look what happened against Atlanta United. I'll also argue that maybe him not being included in Canada affected his play against Atlanta United. You might know awesome. who I'm talking about. Yeah. Sebastian Brezza. Yeah. He looked like uh, he had a very strong start to this season. I, yeah. I mean, he he has some 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 holes in his his game, like every other goalie. But he's he's got a big frame. He makes some great reaction saves. Uh, he's familiar with the back three. It, it kind of all makes sense. He's a dual national, so you can kind of. Uh, I think since he's above twenty three, just calling him in would would kind of give you a bit of a yeah. Uh, you can't cap time unless he sees the field, right. but at least you can yeah. kind of show like he's, it's not like he's, you know, part English or part German. Like he's part Norwegian. Yeah. Like Nor- Norway is a team that could maybe tempt him. I even think Poland is another team he could potentially uh, represent. If I'm not mistaken, I could be making that up. At least he has Polish ancestry. I don't know if it's enough of a link to, to represent Poland. So Brezza was one for me. Otherwise the two names that I, that I had were, at the right wing back where I still think Canada is a bit thin personally, just based on where Johnston playing more in the back three. And I just Buchanan, I, I like what he brings as a wing back on the offensive side. Defensively, there's still, you know, growing, mm-hmm. uh, growing pains. It was for me, it was Matthew Schoenier and Jaquille Marshall Rudy, one of those two. I know Schoenier did pick up a knock. Yeah. So maybe that he, maybe he was close to, to making it in. And then that knock kind of derailed his progress. Otherwise, Jaquiel Marshall-Rudy, yes, it's a bit early after his, his start to the season. But for me, I look back, what people do forget is, yes, he's been playing right back now. He did play like a handful of games at right back to end off last year. Yes, he did. Looked very solid, has continued that into, into this year. So I think for him, 
that would have been another one that makes sense. A young guy, you get him used to the group, kind of like you're doing with Kona. You give him a chance to be around the big guns with the picture of a, he, he kind of, he shores up that right wing back depth if needed, but also shows that you're interested in him and he can kind of get the ropes now to maybe play a bigger role in the future. Agreed there. The only potential player I could have seen making it outside of Bressa because he was my choice for the third goalkeeper until St. Clair just decided to turn into prime Gianluigi Buffon against the New York Red Bulls and then start another game after that would have been a man that I think we're going to talk about in this next question. So Bernard at Bernard Campagna asked, who is on the taxi squad? We know Raheem Edwards is on there because John Herdman mentioned it. In fact, here's what Herdman had to say about Edwards and his recent form and maybe why he was just on the outside looking in. He's done well. and In fact, he, he did well at the end of last season. So he's, he's been in our, in our reckoning now for a period of time. And certainly these, these few games for LA Galaxy, yeah, his shift to left back is, um, I think, transformed him. So I think coming into this camp, a lot of deliberation. Raheem's on the extended roster. He is one of the standby players. So given what we experienced last time, um, you never know. That's that's always the the thing in my mind. We may see Raheem like Zach Rowe on the pitch in, in the last game. Who knows? But certainly has caught our eyes, put, put himself a lot closer to, you know, the squad of 23 and He's a phone call away if there's an injury and suspension around that position. So we know that he's there, Alex. Um, we can assume that there are other domestic-based guys on there because that's typically what Herdman does just based on ease of travel, if you need an emergency call-up, things like that. It seems like Bob Bradley indicated that there were a number of players on Toronto FC who were on standby as well. So... Is there anyone that you could maybe see making the cut just based on where Canada might be thin and or some of the suspension concerns looming? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's something I actually were written about, so it's ready at the top of my head. Personally, if I were a betting man, I'd say probably knowing Herdman won at each position, like a goalie, a center back, a right back. Uh, we already know Edwards is obviously a left back, a midfielder and a striker. Looking down those profiles, guys playing in MLS, like you mentioned. So, sorry, Richie Ennin, for example, you're not getting a call from Russia probably, especially with the, the ongoing situation yep. there to come play, come sit on the bench one game in Panama, for example. So, considering that, for me, it's probably James Pantemis in goal if needed. I think it's center back. Uh, it's one of Lucas McNaughton or Joel Waterman. Yeah. I, I'm not sure which one Herdman. Uh, I'd say personally Waterman, Agreed. but the comment from from Azorio saying that there was a couple of Toronto players maybe leads me to believe uh, McNaughton is on the short list. Otherwise, I'd say Marshall Rudy at, at right back just because of Schwenier's health uh, in the middle. I think Ralph Preso and, and Noble Akella, one of those two. I'd probably say Preso based on what Canada needs yeah. and then up front. The good old reliable Tesho yes. Akindeli has to be uh, probably next on, on the list if, uh, if needed. Yeah, there you go. I, I agree with all that, yeah. It's unfortunate that Edwards didn't make it, but when you play in that position at left wing back where there is quite a bit of depth, um, and yes, he did have a pretty decent end to last season, and he's obviously gotten off to a flyer this year. Um, it, it, he's a victim of circumstance, like so many guys that I think we're going to we're going to touch on here. Uh, maybe before we transition into the actual game this Thursday, Alex, um, are there any other thoughts you have on the roster that we haven't touched on yet? Otherwise, I mean, it's pretty straightforward roster. It's one thing I've kind of noted a, a few times is 
It's about as straightforward as the rosters we've gotten from from John Herdman, these these windows. Yeah. I mean, other than the injuries. And I think it just shows how much things have changed in a year, two years, three years, how going on a run, getting your guys and this Canadian team, it's we know what it is at this point. They have a job to do, and the expected roster is here. So it's kind of nice in a way. It's 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 been a bit of a change where you're like, oh, is this guy going to make it in? Is this guy? Note the roster is is set in, in not in stone, but we have an idea of what it's going to be. And I think that's a good thing for Canada. There's enough guys playing in good leagues. There's enough guys who've been in great form for Canada. It's a great thing to have. And that for me is the overwhelming takeaway from this squad. That's been nice because I mean, it is fun to sit there and argue, did this guy miss out? Did this guy miss out? But ultimately it's the squad kind of picked itself. I think the fact that, like you mentioned, you got 22 guys on your projected roster, I got 24. If we're doing the same thing for like the U.S., are we getting that many no. guys? Probably not. And that's a good thing for Canada. So I've, that's my overwhelming takeaway. Yeah, I'd agree. We did get a couple of tweets regarding Theo Corbinu. Um, for me, Miller is playing in a European top flight for a big club playing in Europe, and he's in form. It's unfortunate for Corbinu, who, like Edwards, is on the unfortunate end of being in a loaded position. He's been admittedly very good at MK Dons, but if Junior Hoylet is fit and Miller's in form, Corbinu's on the outside looking in, simply put. Especially now that he's been rotating between starter and substitute the last three weeks, that's probably not going to help his case as well, but it, it's mostly the former. Okay, let's uh, dive into what is awaiting Canada this Thursday. This group of 25 players will take on Costa Rica on Thursday night in San Jose at 10.05 p.m. Eastern, 7.05 p.m. Pacific. A reminder, a win means Canada automatically qualifies for its first World Cup since 1986. And more importantly, that means a change to our intro music for the podcast. Canada can also qualify with a draw, and if Panama and the U.S. fail to beat Honduras and Mexico respectively, even if Canada loses, they can still qualify if Panama fails to beat Honduras and the U.S. loses to Mexico. Costa Rica is one point adrift of fourth place Panama entering this window, so they have everything to play for in these final three games. Costa Rica is also unbeaten in 18 of their last 19 home qualifiers. Only Mexico who won 1-0 on September the 5th, has beaten them in that span. Alex, let's take a look at the Costa Rican side of things, starting with players and or the individual matchups to watch. What are you looking for here from a Costa Rican side of things? I mean, for me to start, I'm, I'm just very curious to see how the midfield battle goes again in this game because it was last time out. I, I started my rewatch for the Costa Rica of that game. And man, it was KG. It was physical. Costa Rica flooded the midfield. It was like a five. They put five guys in there. Canada decided to go with the double pivot. I don't know if I, you know, personally, I mean, we can talk about our projected lineups. I don't know if double pivots the way to go in this game. I mean, it depends how you deploy your fullbacks, obviously, as we've learned uh, the last few months but for me it really starts the midfield i mean i today mark anthony k was one of the the players available uh in the in the media availability and i asked him about it it's something he also talked about too and it was interesting to kind of hear his perspective how like yeah it was we didn't have much time to to play on the ball it was 50 50s coming at you and 
I think he really summed up what is going to be that that big battle. Whereas it's like, yes, you look at the Costa Rican side and you you get drawn into Kaylor Navas in goal. That's just a good place to start. You got you know the the, the experience of the guys like Calvo at the back. You got you know Matarita coming back in. It's it's a solid team at the, you know at the back. It's 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 been like that for a reason. But for whatever reason, the, the place where they've always been a little more some than their of their parts has been in the midfield and because of that for me it's it's the area i'd target for for canada k said it and i echo his statements whoever wins this midfield battle is going to win this game yeah and i feel like that's usually the case for most matches but especially here um what's interesting to me alex is unlike november kaylor navas is there so that automatically changes things for me and with costa rica in these qualifiers he is a i believe he's a plus four one post-shot expected goals um, or a plus 0.4 post-shot expected goals per 90. Try saying that five times fast, which is absurd. Like, like that is by far, I believe, the best in World Cup qualifying so far. Costa Rica, in the last window alone, conceded a total of, I believe it was 3.6 XG in two games against Mexico and Jamaica. Navas kept a clean sheet in both of those games, somehow. There was also no Ronald Matarrita in the November game, who was a key player at left back for Costa Rica and one of their main creators. Tactically, I think as a result of those two coming back and some of the newer call-ups they have who should add a couple of interesting wrinkles to this game, they should go 4-3-3, but probably, as you kind of mentioned, go 4-5-1 or 5-4-1, however you, however you want to call it, uh, off the ball to really muddy things up at times. With Campbell likely kind of drifting between the lines, kind of playing deep, allowing the wingers to run in behind him. But they only have four wingers, so it's possible that he ends up actually going wide himself and and they end up starting another number nine up there. CRC Football, who is a great follow on Twitter, he covers all things Costa Rican football in English, to those of you who want to, to check him out. He predicts an 11 of Navas, and then from right to left on the defense, Carlos Martinez, who's one of the new call-ups, Kendall Waston, Francisco Calvo, Matarrita, and then the midfield three is going to be Yeltsin Tejeda, Celso Borges, and Houston Salas. And then from right to left, Alonso Martinez, Joel Campbell, and Gerson Torres. So if that is the way they go, that is intriguing to me because I feel like you have two very capable attack-minded fullbacks. You have a slightly older midfield, which might give Canada a bit of an edge, but to me, Alex, if Costa Rica goes away from the long ball, which they've seemed to rely on a lot in their qualifiers, and they decide to keep the ball on the ground and play it short and utilize Campbell's strengths that way and get the wingers running in behind them, that could cause the Canadian defense a lot of problems for me. That's that's just what I see, though. Yeah, I mean, looking at those, the, the, some of the specific matchups, I talked about in the midfield, so I'll branch out and kind of look at both final thirds. I think... Ultimately, other than the midfield, I think it's going to be important that both teams are, are clinical in, in either third and Costa Rica's case, especially so because, you know, they've haven't been creating a, a whole lot. You look at just their goals for as, as well. And I'm sure you have the fully expected goals data for them. I can't imagine it's very high either. They're not exactly a team that, that goes out and blows off, blows the barn off teams. So for me, the one thing I do feel surprisingly, it feels wild to say, I feel confident in how Canada defends 
based on what we know about Costa Rica, if they're going to keep playing the same way, Canada kind of like we know plays more of a mid low block. Now uh, the way Costa Rica kind of like wants to go direct and stretch things out. Canada's already stretched. They're ready for that. They, they, they sit a little deeper for a reason. I mean, we talked about it three years ago. They, they would get torched yep. by, by the likes of Haiti and whatnot in transition. That's been the, if we're going to talk about why Herdman and Canada only have five goals against in 11 games this octo, that's change number one. Stopped getting destroyed in transition by these uh, Central American teams. So for Costa Rica, it's going to be either A, can they find a way to adapt their system to try and beat Canada, which so far through the 11 games, the closest teams have come has been when, like you mentioned, more short passes, more kind of, you know, getting guys on the, on the turn. It's kind of like with the looking at the U S for example, I think they generated the most XG against Canada and it was, there was a lot of short passing, a lot of uh, a possession and, and trying to yeah. draw Canada out instead of making them run. Okay. I don't know if looking at Costa Rica, I mean, they do always have the, the good old reliable Brian Ruiz. They don't really have that profile. So in, if in that case, they have to make the most of that one or two chance that one or two chances they're going to get. Yeah. And then at the other end for Canada, what I'll add is I, as you might've seen on Twitter, I did a bit of shot analysis on this yep. Canadian team, right. the way they, they they've been scoring goals. This octo is get the ball into the six and in the box and score, which is, it's great. It's been working watching back and looking back at all through the shot maps to input that, the Costa Rica game might've been one of the, the more dire ones they had, whereas yeah. their one goal, yes, did come right on the edge of the six. It took a horrible mistake that Kaylor Navas won't make, obviously uh, the, the replacement at the time. Uh, I think it was, it was, was it Marrera or it, it was Marrera? Uh, yes, right? yes, if yes, I'm not was. mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Kaylor Navas isn't going to make that mistake, dropping a loose cross. So Canada's going to have to find a way to get more of those danger chances because against Costa Rica, they got lucky they created that one out of nothing because otherwise it could have very well been a zero, zero draw based on how the game was, was, was trending. So other than the midfield battle, I'd say whoever is the most Fox in the box, whoever is the most clinical at creating that one chance and then finishing it could end up uh, deciding the game. But if I were to make a prediction, it's going to be a cagey one. We shall see, of course. Um, those XG numbers, by the way, that you mentioned. Um, Costa Rica in the Osho has posted a XG per 90 of 0.95. But they're underachieving wow. in that regard. 0.73 goals per 90. But then on the flip side, you look at them defensively. 1.53 XG conceded per 90. But they're only allowing 0.64 goals per 90. So that is the impact Gaylor Do you have any has. XG per shot? The, do you have any XG per shot? Because I do wonder me, if it's a, also a volume thing. Because I remember if Canada, for example, they did get a lot of volume against Costa Rica, but also not a lot of quality right. based on how they defend. I mean, that might be a bit of a, a quick question to ask no, you on the I fly. I'm doing the I math do also literally as we speak. Uh, it is 0. 0.11 XG per shot they're conceding. So about like slightly below yeah. average, I'd say, yeah. or about average. And th that's the thing okay. too. Like they're they're getting they're conceding twice as many shots per 90 that they are generating themselves. It's about 7.8 to 14.1 shots for to shots against per 90 um, during the Ocho. So the chances will be there. You just got to put them away. Uh, and I mean, that's easier said than done. Sometimes. Or create a golden chance. Or create a golden chance. Yes. It's either you, you, you hope for one of those screamers to go in, which again, Kaylor Navas in the goal, I wouldn't, hold my breath unless someone like Jonathan yeah. David uh, is the one guy I'm thinking has the quality to, to maybe beat him clean. But other than that, 
it's just, yeah, again, I'd, I'd echo the point of it's going to be whoever gets that, that golden chance and whoever makes the most of it. That's what Canada did in the, honestly, the last two games. We forget about the Gold Cup. That's what happened. That's it was right. a cagey game. Canada made the most of that junior Hoylet goal early on that kind of opened things up, and then it was smooth sailing. But uh, it's really, it, it's it's a game of win the war in midfield and just be, be, be on the spot in the box when you need to be. Yeah, yeah. you were a midfielder. You know this. You are a midfielder, actually. You still play. Anyways, <laughs> let's move over to a, a Canadian-centric uh, Canada Costa Rica preview here. Um, we'll start with a few listener questions. So Kevin Brown asked, given Lorea hasn't played since the January window, February 2nd to be exact, how effective will he be? It sounds like he could be needed at wingback if Johnston has to play center back, given some injury concerns to Vittoria and Kennedy. More on his situation in a bit. Plus Henry's suspension for Costa Rica. I actually asked Herdman specifically about Ostakio, but predominantly Lorea's um, lack of rhythm and whether the coaching staff is concerned about that. This is what he said. Yeah, I think you've, you've always got those concerns to, as a coach, uh, but I think you, you, you don't underestimate either the sort of power of uh, the human will and, and you know, the, the human potential. Like, you know, players like that can turn it on when, when they need to. Um, what we know is they might not be able to turn it on for 95, 100 minutes, but, you know, there'll be a period in the game where I think these players will suffer a bit. But at the end of the day, they've showed a resilient mindset. Peter, and if I believe the science and, and everything that science has told us, uh, I wouldn't be where, or we wouldn't be where we're at now. So we've, we've got to leave some of this to, you know, these are big moments for players and, you know, the human potential can stretch if you, if you give it that room. So how effective do you think Lorea specifically will be, Alex? And do, do you feel like this is any sort of a concern at this point? I'll be honest. I, I have no idea, and I'd edge on the, 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 the side of I think I, I do worry that there's going to be rust. I, I can't lie. I think it's, it's not the, you know, I'm, I wasn't team like, oh, Richie Larea, he needs to be playing or he won't be in the Canada squad. He was always going to be in the Canada squad. I expect him to start. But I do wonder based on January where he was also in a similar situation where he hadn't played That's in right. two months. He looked rusty. He did like, he looked like his usual self in the sense that the nice thing about Larea is even if you're not getting the best version of Larea, and how he, you know, is when he's at his best, you see him dribbling guys, yeah. you see him making tackles, you see him making passes. Even when you're not getting the best of those qualities, you're still getting a fired up Larray. You're getting a Larray who's getting stuck in. He's going to go out there and put in a shift. So I have no doubt that he can start. I just do wonder if he will be quite rusty. And this is one thing I have mentioned. For me, this is going to be a huge camp in terms of figuring out if playing, if actually playing at a big club and training. Like, you know, Larea's in a good environment at Nottingham, and he's obviously training. We do forget, like, yes, he might not be match fit, but he's getting touches every week. We'll see if being in an environment like that actually does help you uh, keep your rhythm and keep your quality, maybe other than fitness. Herdman thinks so. I mean, in that answer, he kind of mentioned that, okay, yes, maybe they won't be able to go their, you know, usual 270-minute windows that they love or 360-minute windows or whatever right. the, the numbers are. But he still says that he believes they can have quality for, for 60, 70 minutes. Yeah. And 
because of that, I'll be, I'll be watching for that. Can Larea buck off the, you know, rust? Can he push off the the, the rust and 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 ditch that? But uh, I think he's good to go, and he's going to have to be. I mean, especially in this Costa Rica game, I would like to have him on the pitch. If you're throwing someone like Tejon Buchanan out at, at wing back, I'd, I'd honestly prefer it for more of like a Jamaica or maybe even like a, a Panama. But uh, for for this Costa Rica game, I would like to have Larea just because you're going to need guys who are as cliche as it sounds you're going to need guys who are ready to get get in the fight you're going to get guys who need to be ready for this sort of physical you know kind of game that it's going to be and i think uh i i don't have any concerns about larray if anything the, the question is more what's that left side what's the center back situation going to yeah. look like in this game yeah that's the big question more on that in a little bit as we get our predicted 11s in here very soon the other reason to start larray over someone like a buchanan just two words, Ronald Matarita. They're going to have to contain him. So, and, and I feel much more comfortable with a out-and-out right-back in Lorea with another out-and-out right-back slash right-sided center-back in Johnston, plus Ashtakio offering the occasional bit of protection to ensure that he doesn't get into those dangerous areas, hit the cutbacks into Campbell, and, and you know potentially cause Canada problems that way. There's absolutely going to be rustiness, as you said, Alex. I mean, you know this, I know this. Anyone who has played at any sort of level knows this. When you go a certain amount of time without playing, you lose your touch, your anticipation, you don't weigh your passes correctly, little things like that when you haven't played in a certain amount of weeks or months. Um, So things like that are going to be off, for sure. But as Herdman said, he's pretty... Uh, he, he's a pretty big believer in the human will and the human spirit, which I know sounds very like Pablo Mastroeni like, but he does have a point. Like, you know, this team is so mentally locked in that they could, I, I'd feel confident of them going six months without playing and they would still be able to give you some sort of a decent effort. May not be pretty, but you can at least be assured they're going to be committed, right? I mean, they went two months with a lot, like a good chunk of their squad went two months without playing and went out, had a nine point win. Exactly. I mean, you're not wrong no. in that aspect. No, 100%. Um, Dan Clark, on the subject of Kennedy, he asked if Scott Kennedy is good to go against Costa Rica. And if he isn't, what does the defense look like in that game? Um, a thank you to Ken at my team's wear red underscore who tweeted at us saying that Kennedy's father posted on the Voyagers forum about Kennedy's status, and he is good to go despite taking that um, knock to his face in Jan Regensburg's game over the weekend, so that's good to hear. Um, Trey Dunn, do you suspect Herdman will field his best 11 for the Costa Rica game and go for the clinching points, or will he rotate his squad so that his best 11 is rested for the home game and hope to clinch against Jamaica? I think Herdman is going to go for his, his best 11. He should. Because you look at that Jamaica game, you don't want to take it lightly. Because while Jamaica is is already eliminated, they're not calling in some of their big guns like Michael Antonio isn't isn't there, for example. Some of the you know the bigger names like an Ethan Pinnock also isn't there. Some of their other English based players, just like you know the the one big name, obviously Leon Bailey. You can't sleep with him on the the pitch. But uh, Jamaica's right now with new coach. Uh, they're they're really focused on 23, 24. It's a game that where even if Canada maybe runs out some guys like Lorea, Ustakio, and et cetera, 
Baker and they're not good to go for Jamaica. I'm comfortable in Canada's depth in guys like Kay, Azorio, Fraser. You know, you go down the list. I'm comfortable in their depth to handle that Jamaica game. And then based on what how the table goes, how results around the world go, how Canada's looking in terms of a, did they get into the World Cup? You'd hope they they have by that Panama game. What's the pot three situation looking like? Because that is a, that's a possibility. And then you decide how you go for Panama. So I'm the way I'm seeing is you go gung ho in in, in Panama uh, in in Costa Rica. You 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 look at the workloads. You look at your sports science. You see who's able to good to go for that that Jamaica game. You maybe rotate a bit, and then Panama. You have the option for either based on what you did in the first two games and. Big shock here, Alex. I agree with you. Wow. <laughs> I know. Didn't see that Crazy. I know. Um, but l- listen, he usually does go for it in the first games of the window. Um, and it's a one game at a time mentality for this team. So I think the seven players at risk of suspension may change that slightly in terms of how they start the game based on the formation. Maybe he goes 4-4-2 as a result to ensure there are enough midfielders available, for example, because four of the seven who are at risk of getting suspended are midfielders. Um, And keep in mind, trying to predict a Herdman 11 is a fool's errand. So with that, I guess we'll we'll dive into these predicted 11s. Um, I'll go with you first, seeing as you're the guest. So Alex, how do you see them lining up for this? You want the full 11 or are we doing position by position? Uh, let's, go, let's go full 11 and then your explanation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we'll go Borean in goal. I feel like that's the, the straightforward mm-hmm. shout. So uh, let's see, see. Hopefully I don't mess up my numbers here. So I remember last time I was on, I had an issue with that. So I'll try to keep my numbers straight. So we'll start with the three. We'll go Johnston uh-huh. on the right. For me, the one thing that did, I'll admit did you know irk me slightly from the Sunday media availabilities that we left with zero idea on Stephen Victoria's status. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest, that was a question I was going to ask because he has played like one game since the last camp and has helped. I read a report out there in Portugal saying he was supposed to be out for these these Canada games, so it's obviously bad enough to the point where that was a, a possibility. So we have zero idea. I'll assume Vittoria, but I will prepare in case he isn't ready. We we don't know what his status is. So I'll Johnston, Vittoria, and, and I will go um, Kennedy okay. just based on the form and what he's shown and, you know, what he how he's looked in tough environments. Although, should something not be able, you know, should Vittoria not be able to go, I would, because Henry is suspended, I would shift Kamal Miller over to the center okay. and leave Kennedy in because I just think Kamal Miller, the way – his profile is and you see it with Montreal at times where I just look at his profile and the way he struggles sometimes on the turn, but it's just so dominant oh, in the yeah, air. And in the, he's a, he's a center, a central center back long-term a hundred percent. So I'd go Miller and Kennedy. Uh, I'd love to slip Cornelius in there somewhere. He's been in great oh, form. I just yeah. think in a game like this, it, you're going to go with familiarity uh, over at, at wing back, I'm going to throw in a surprise start for Christian Gutierrez at left wing back. Supposedly, Richie Larea could slot over, but I think Gutierrez, yes, it's a very bold call. He's never played for Canada, so to throw him into an away game in a sold out Costa Rica game, uh, stadium where they need a must win uh, to keep their Qatar hopes strong. I get it, it's bold. We do forget he also used to play for Colo Colo, which is kind of a massive club, Just and a he's bit. played in yep. sort of games like decently big yeah. big club as you might know they, they've been in an environment like that before so i think he does have what it takes he's been in canada's camp before so it's not like i'm throwing a guy who's never played for never who's never seen canada's system and throwing him in and then on the right i'd uh 
I'd go Larea. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my back five in the midfield. Hutchinson, Eustachio kind of picks themselves, and that leaves three. I'll go with the David and Laren uh, duo up front. Okay. They prove that they can, in fact, play together, and I'll throw in the always reliable junior Hoylet as kind of underneath kind of as a link man hopefully my math is right i know i am leaving tay john buchanan out there but just based on how costa rica plays you don't really need the speed the the one-on-one that buchanan has you saw it against costa rica where him uh davies and miller all kind of struggled to 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 get their speed going i think you need a lock picker and that's a guy like junior Hoylet. he's got that 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 sort of quality so it's a bit of an interesting 11 but that's kind of how i'd see it going I'm chuckling to myself because I have this exact same 11 and I'm not even kidding you. I'm honestly not joking. I did this off the top of my head. Like, <laughs> I, my notes here are empty, so I'm just I, I going off you. my gut here. I believe you. Trust me. Um, th- that's what makes it so funny to me. Um, I, I suppose if I want to <laughs> regurgitate the same thoughts, I can. Um, but I guess we've been watching the same games, I guess, which <laughs> I guess true. is nice for me. It's it feels true. like I'm, I'm not pulling something out of my no. out of the sky. No, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, everything you said there is completely correct. I, I suppose to add on to this, which I'm sure you'll agree with, it allows you to go four four two, but you can morph into a three four three or three five two on the ball when necessary with this personnel. You protect the other yellow card warnings. In, for example, K, Buchanan, Fraser, and Cavallini for Jamaica at home. So you can rotate in and out depending on who gets booked, if anyone gets booked. Which I think it's pretty safe to say they will, based on the theme of this podcast. Kennedy is in better form, I feel, than Miller. Though you do lose the buildup from the back, provided Vittoria is safe to go. And I have a feeling he won't be. So I think we may end up seeing Miller and Kennedy starting together, as you sort of touched on. I think we're going to see more Herdman mind games about this. That's just my inkling here. But the the other reason I I would go with that personnel in terms of Hoylet as part of a three and keeping the Ishtakio-Hutchinson partnership together is, and I think we saw this in that Honduras game in January, Hoylet did occasionally tuck into like a left-sided central midfield role off the ball and sometimes on the ball. So you have a third midfielder for protection against Costa Rica's trio or Larea can pinch inside in possession and kind of be a pseudo third midfielder when he needs to be, which we saw in those November games. It means resting Buchanan, but that's okay. It's a luxury to have some of these guys fresh. And I also would not be stunned if Buchanan ends up getting the start over a Kyle Laren, for example, but it would be really, really bold, I think, to start this window by resting the all-time leading scorer in men's national team history and the top scorer in CONCACAF qualifying, for me. Um, but then again, as I've said off the top, John Herdman is unpredictable, and he will always be guaranteed to throw a curveball or two. Well, what we know about Laren is that he can... These days for Besiktas Academy, he barely goes over 60 much anyway. So at, at worst, he'll he'll need a sub at, at some point. Otherwise, I just would add is two potential things to to watch from that uh, the the 11 I threw out. I'd say other than Gutierrez, one thing that I could see Herdman doing is throwing Buchanan there. I know it's a bit bold, but Herdman does like familiarity at the club. And where is Tejan Buchanan playing for his club right now at Bruges as the left wing back? So there is that familiarity there. Mm-hmm. Costa Rica, there isn't that Ronald Matarita overlap threat like you're, you're, you're exactly. so worried about on the right side. Yeah. So maybe uh, it, maybe Buchanan on the left, can you can kind of get 
get away with pushing him in. And it's not like he's completely defensively irresponsible. I think he's grown a lot in his time at, at Bruges. And the reason why they, they trust him there, even in big games, it's just, you know, yes, for Canada, he has been a bit of a work in progress at there. But I'd say I'd, I'd feel confident in throwing him on the left if you don't feel like someone like Gutierrez is ready to, to, to be thrust in to this Costa Rica environment, which is reasonable. Otherwise, I'd say watch out for Jonathan Azorio. I mentioned Junior Hoylet, but I also think Jonathan Azorio could kind of play that role of, you know, lock picker number 10. He's Canada's best arguable, like arguably he's Canada's best player at, at just break, other than maybe Jonathan David, at just breaking things down in the final third and slowing things down and finding space. And I, what I thought personally from watching the Costa Rica game uh, from last time, I would have, if, if I were going to make one change from that lineup, I were to take out, uh, one of because Canada came out with what what was it again? It was like a David Miller Buchanan Davies front four. I would have t- yeah. taken out honestly one of Buchanan Miller or Davies and put on an Azorio because they missed a lock picker badly. Oh, just the way yeah. it was just Ustakio and K got so se- separated from the front mm-hmm. line and it really put a huge onus on Ustakio and or not Ustakio sorry put a huge onus on Adekubi and Lorray to do a lot the, a lot of the creating and while you trust them to do that you would like some sort of central outlet yeah. so I'd say Azorio based on his familiarity based on his role that could be a sneaky shout to kind of drop him underneath David and 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 Laren to ensure that those two don't get isolated because as we learned in in January they can play together yes but it also helps when they're getting touches they're getting service and they're not you know kind of being forced to stand around and do nothing because both of them aren't those kinds of strikers. They need to be involved. They need to, to, to get those touches. 100%. We'll close up the show with this question from Jay Fitzsimmons. When we qualify for the World Cup, what does that trigger financially? Does FIFA get a bunch of money to Canada soccer? Are there conditions? Like, can they only spend it on Can MNT stuff? I don't fully understand. Please explain it for me at Northern Football. Um, so we had... Dr. Nick Bontos, the president of the CSA on the show in early February, just after that successful window in January. And he did break this down a little bit for, for us. Um, so Canada soccer is going to receive a $15 million windfall from FIFA for qualifying in 2022. That's according to Herdman on the athletic podcast towards the end of 2021. Now Bontus told us after the fact that he's hopeful there will be more interest from corporate sponsors now that we're on the upswing seemingly for the umpteenth time from another wave of the pandemic. Um, also pointing out that every single department in Canada soccer, from the youth teams to the women's program to marketing communications, long-term player development, coaching, the list goes on, will be allocated some of those funds. Keep in mind the players do get some prize money and appearance fees as well, uh, as is the case for pretty much every single team. This windfall is, based on my understanding, unlike the women winning gold and getting prize money from that. It can only be dedicated to the women's program, which Bontis touched on in our interview with him. So that's where this windfall really benefits the entirety of Canadian soccer in that they can choose to allocate it however they want to do, which is kind of nice to have that freedom. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that's the big thing about why Canada is so adamant on, on making the World Cup. Like you mentioned, I think 50 million is a, a loose estimate. I think that's just like the guaranteed. Uh, maybe that's the guaranteed. I think it could honestly, it stands to, to rise each year. And plus there's the fact that we do remember that say, Hey, if Canada gets a fortunate draw and they get to round of 16, 
you get more and more money with, with each round that you, you go. I'm not saying that Canada is going to go on and win the world cup, but Hey, it would be great for, 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 for us if they did, but uh, jokes aside or dreams aside, you know, yes, there'll be that significant windfall, but for me, the biggest part will be the, the external revenue. Uh, that's that's what, what I'm looking at. For example, this once Canada sorts out their qualification, they need to fix fix their merch because they're gonna get a new jersey uh, every every time you qualify for World Cup, you get at least a new kit, yep. usually two or th- sometimes even three. They need to make sure, obviously, that it's nice. That's kind of a prerequisite. It's kind of hard to mess up red, and they need to make sure it is. They have produce it in, in boatloads. They need to make sure their store is fixed because one thing that helps Canada a lot is that every year in the World Cup qualifying cycle, there's a story. You'll you'll be familiar with, say, 2018 story was honestly probably Peru, the way they, they qualified and first time in X, X amount of years, the drama, the drama, winning it at home, the parties, how they, you know, the, everything surrounding that for Canada. You look around the world, they're that team right now. They haven't qualified in a long time. They've got the young up-and-comers. They've been, you know, making waves with all these memorable victories at home, all these big victories over teams. Around the world, people are taking note of Canada. So it's not just tailoring merch to Canadians, which should be a priority. And it's kind of shocking at times how the stories you read about people's struggle just to get basic merch, but also people around the world are going to want to to, to get merchandise. So that is going to be another uh, avenue for Canada to get money, corporate sponsors, like you mentioned. And then from there with all that money, uh, it's, I think, mostly based on what we've heard from, from Canada talking, kind of reading in between the lines, I'd say it's mostly going to kind of go into Yes, it's going to go into the both national teams, ensuring they can charter as much as possible, yeah. which is a huge competitive advantage. It's ensuring you have the best doctors, best recovery. But beyond that, it's going to be especially in the youth program. And I think they realize that uh, they're, they're going to need to, to put some money there, especially in that that U15 to U23 range, both on the male and female sides, as well as hopefully they can find a way to to allocate that as well to, to start figuring out a, a long-term solution for the professional women's game. But uh, that's kind of how I'd see it breaking down. We shall see what happens over the next few years. It's going to be very intriguing to see how that pans out. Um, Alex, thank you so much for tagging in. We gave you a, an emergency call up. You've, you've duly filled those duties that we asked of you. So appreciate it. Uh, if there's anything you want to plug right now, then the floor is yours pleasure as always to, to join the show second cap now i'm keeping track uh, i'm always on top of my my appearances you'll be so, capped uh, soon if you're not hey, careful by the way permanently one more game yeah i know what, 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 one more i'm 21 so uh, one more and i'll have to wait three years before i can exactly. uh, join anyone else yeah. so maybe if you guys want to want to poach me away but uh <laughs> yeah you can find me on at alex gunger is get twitter that's where most of my stuff is coming through i got all sorts of canada uh, you know, white cap, CPL, all that sort of stuff is coming through. All, any sort of personal life updates, etc. One that I, I mean, I'll put out here. So by the time it show the show comes out, I will be actually heading down to Costa Rica for the game. Knock on wood, if everything goes all nice. all, all right. I've, I mean, I've got a plane ticket. I've got a, a place to stay. I should be able to get in the match. I, I've got my COVID test to come back. So hopefully everything uh, goes well for there. So. Knock on wood, everything permitting, I will be in that pack stadium enjoying Canada play. I've wanted to hit an away day for so long, so I'm happy that uh, I'm getting to to, to experience that. And uh, 
Otherwise, you'll be able to see all my my travels and and whatnot on on my Twitter. I'll be be sure to to share as many stories as possible because it's always a, a good time. Costa Rica is a lot of fun. I'm sure you'll enjoy it outside of the football. So I do hope you enjoy it. Thank you again for joining us, Alex. And thank you listeners for tuning in. We'll be back with you on Friday morning after Canada plays against Costa Rica. And maybe this is the last time we sign off with Canada not officially in the World Cup. So for Alexander Gonge ruzik and Thomas Neff as well, who unfortunately could not join us tonight, I'm Peter Galindo. Shout out to the boy. We will see you on Friday. Oh,